Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, the 9th of November 2021. Terry Sheehan is on the US East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Well, I suppose these days financial markets tend to take central bank transparency for granted. Investors like being forewarned of prospective policy changes as it allows them to be appropriately positioned before the actual move takes place. And central banks favour it as a way of helping to smooth out potential asset price volatility. However, last week showed that such an approach can backfire badly when it goes wrong. On Wednesday, the Fed duly confirmed that it would be tapering its QE programme, just as the markets had already been guided to anticipate. However, a day later, the Bank of England, very surprisingly, announced no change to its stance, despite having seemingly just instructed the markets to expect what would be the first hike in bank rate in more than two years. How much damage this has done to the credibility of a latter's communication strategy remains to be seen. But while investors may be willing to have faith in what the US central bank has to say about its policy intentions, the Bank of England could now find itself struggling as markets contemplate whether to trust it or not. On which note, let's firstly go to the US and the central bank that got its message right. Terry, was there anything in last week's FOMC statement that actually came as a surprise to anyone? Very little. Uh, the language that was related to um, inflation included some specificity that they don't normally get into about uh, the supply chain and its impact on inflation. Mm -hmm. So I think they are trying to emphasize their the nature of the transitory influence on inflation. Uh, the other thing was that when they announced the taper in asset purchases, um, they gave very specific amounts for November and December, but they didn't for January going forward. So it's they were they did say that you know they could change the pace of purchases. So that means if you know the economy slows down or there is some disruption in financial markets, they could slow the pace of asset purchases again. Um, or they they could slow the taper of the purchases again, or they could speed up the tapering. Uh, so if the economy is strong and things are going well, they may decide to end it sooner, especially if they think that they're going to need to lift interest rates sooner because mm -hmm. they don't want to link those two things. So it is very keen, sort of dual policy then. Interest rates is one side of a policy and the quantitative easing or indeed absence, what will be ultimately quantitative easing, is very much a different aspect of the policy. Yes, they've been very careful to say that there is a much more stringent standard for lift off for interest rates. Do you think they would prefer to be able to put forward, if you like, a fixed amount of tapering every month. Or if we just look across to my part of the world and European Central Bank on their PEP, their emergency uh, purchase pandemic program. Um, within that, um, the, the PEP effectively has an overall ceiling on it. But how much they actually spend um, on any week or any particular month is really down to them and according to market conditions. Do you think the Fed's trying to some extent go down that kind of route by not specifying precise amounts uh, for next year? No, I think they're trying to hedge their bets about what the economy's doing. The third quarter came in with 2% GDP growth, which was a considerable slowing from the prior quarters. But uh, they need to be sure that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the fourth quarter at least maintains that pace. Uh, 
So I think they're just trying to signal that the taper will continue, but that they will adjust it, or maybe as Lagarde said, calibrate it yeah. um, to the current conditions. Okay, fair enough. Right, you mentioned fourth quarter, so let's have a look at that then. Um, where are we? Last Friday, obviously. US employment report uh, looked to be a strong number and decent revisions as well. So presumably, mm -hmm. is this consistent with the, uh, the latest Fed tapering policy or are some bits and pieces in there which might make you a little bit cautious? Well, um, it was actually overall a very strong report. Uh, October's the first month of the fourth quarter, a 531 thousand gain. So that's pretty much on track with what's been seen earlier in the year. It suggests that we are getting closer to maximum employment, however the Fed defines that. Uh, there was steady gains in wages, uh, not only at the lower end, but also at the upper end. Uh, this suggests that consumers are going to continue to spend. Uh, the unemployment rate ticked down two-tenths to 4.6% in October. Uh, this shows, and it was due to both fewer unemployed and more people in the labor market. So people are going back to work. Uh, so there's a lot of really good news there, which suggests that the fourth quarter is going to chug along quite nicely. Is it fair to say that I mean the participation rate at the moment remains disappointingly low, and this could have implications for potential growth of supply, and ultimately, if demand remains strong, you know, ultimately, you know, lead to continued pressure on inflation. Well, I I think there's certainly concern that the participation rate remains so low at 61.6 percent, uh, but there are demographic changes happening here. A lot of people retired during the pandemic and many of those people will stay out of the workforce going forward. Uh, families have readjusted their living situations and there may be more stay-at-home parents than there were prior to the pandemic. Uh, and the other thing is a lot of people uh, are starting their own businesses. So those people are also staying out of the labor force. All right. Fair enough. Interesting to see what pans out there. That's kind of on the real side. Let's have a quick talk about inflation. A couple of things struck me. Yesterday, New York Fed, um, their one year ahead measure of consumer inflation expectations hit a new record high. And of course, this week we'll get updates on uh, the PPI and the CPI. In a nutshell, what's going on there? Well, it just looks like that the sources of transitory inflation are going to linger longer than they were originally anticipated. Uh, and, you know, if the supply chains do not improve, uh, it's it's going to remain a factor. There is some hints that the upward pressure in prices is easing. Um, this morning we got the PPI and it was about as expected, but it was mostly due to energy costs. So um, the, the increase there is in one of those commodities that tends to be quite volatile. Uh, it's something the Fed's going to keep an eye on and worry about because if this doesn't get better soon, uh, they're going to have a harder time making the case that this is will work its way through the data. Okay. 
Let me ask this sort of a question in terms of just going back to the Fed filament, in terms of tapering. Um, you said obviously that they kind of know the rest of this year, but we don't know yet too much about um, next year. Where do you think the risks lie? Do you think it's more likely that we could end up seeing a slower pace of tapering or we see a faster pace of tapering than kind of what markets are expecting at the moment? Well, I really want to see the summary of economic projections in December from that FOMC meeting. But I think at this point, based on comments from Fed officials, that they may actually have to accelerate the pace mm -hmm. of the taper um, in order to not link it to liftoff for interest rates, because if inflation lingers more and if we are getting closer to maximum employment, they're going to have to look at lifting interest rates. All right, fair enough. And let's quickly end up on, um, if I can do, a little bit of fiscal policy. Um, House of Representatives just approved uh, Joe Biden's infrastructure bill. Where do we stand on his Build Back Better plan, though? Well, it's one of those things that, you know, now it needs to get through the Senate. Um, but it is victory for him in the sense that he did get something through the House with some Republican support. And I think uh, at the heart of it, infrastructure spending is relatively popular here. So um, I, I think some of that at least is going to make it into the U.S. economy. OK, I'm assuming improve the chances then of uh, Fed tapering or ultimately um, interest rates yes. further down the road. OK, anything else from your side, Terry? Uh, no, um, we had a member of the Fed Board of Governors resign this week or announce his resignation, mm -hmm. Randall Quarles, who was until recently vice chair of supervision, said he's retiring at the end of December. So effectively, we have two vacancies on the Fed right now to look at, and we're very likely to have a third by the end of January when uh, Vice Chair Richard Clarida's term as governor ends. So uh, I think we're going to see a lot of changes at the top at the Fed. OK, so, something very much to keep an eye on for next year. Great. Excellent. Thanks for that, Terry. Um, let's come across then to the Bank of England. So my side of the my side of the pond, which really did itself no favours at all by not raising interest rates last week, despite having to all intents and purposes, told the market to expect a tightening. Um, and in fact, on paper, the, the vote in terms of an interest rate hike wasn't even particularly close. It came in at just seven to two with only the recognised hawks, Michael Saunders and uh, one of the deputy governors, Dave Ramsden, calling for a, what, a 15 basis point increase in bank rate, which would have taken it to 0.25%. Now, notably lacking from that pair was Governor Andrew Bailey, whose recent comments had in what many ways been instrumental in convincing speculators that interest rates were on the way up. Um, there was no change in quantitative easing. The margin there was a little bit closer. That was at six to three with Catherine Mann joining the December centres in favour of an immediate end to the quantitative easing programme. Uh, but since that's going to be reached by what ran about mid to uh, the latter, latter half of December, that doesn't really make that much difference anyway. Now, Chief Economist Hugh Pill said that the overall decision was actually a knife edge. But for those sterling investors who have been looking for interest rates to, to move higher uh, and in
indeed, as far as financial markets were concerned, they were 100% nailed on for an interest rate hike last week. And indeed, another increase uh, was widely uh, discounted before the end of the year, too. Um, they were not at all happy. And what Sterling lost the best part of a couple of percent against the dollar. But some uh, in the market were actually accusing the BOE of bottling it, to quote them. Now, I guess to be fair, it was never actually a done deal in the sense that if we go back to the September MPC, then we had unanimous 9-0 vote in favour of no change. But crucially, I mean, the bank did seem to be deliberately talking up tightening prospects. Let me just go back to what late um, October time. I'll just quote what um, Andrew Bailey, the, the governor, was saying. To quote, monetary policy will have to act and must do so if we see a risk, particularly to medium term inflation and to medium term inflation expectations. And that's why we at the Bank of England have signals, and this is another such signal, that we will have to act. Now, when that came out, as far as financial markets were concerned, well, that's it. They're definitely looking to hike interest rates uh, come what will last Thursday. And of course, nothing happened. So I guess, you know, the question now becomes, you know, why did they not hike? I think probably there's a couple of things involved in this. One, um, it really tells you that it's perhaps to some extent currently more than inflation. Um, it's the labour market that the the MPC is still concentrating upon. The furlough programme over here, so the, the job support programme, that ended in September. And it turns out there were many more um, workers still being supported by that scheme than the MPC actually expected. And so it looks as if they want more time to assess just what's going to happen to the market, you know, as this fiscal support has disappeared. Also, I might ask Terry uh, how we the FOMC deal with this once I've finished my little bit going on here. Um, uncertainty over the sort of the volatility of energy prices. Now, the way the MPC works, it puts forward its own forecast of inflation and the current conditioning assumptions for what, oil, gas and electricity prices. They're based on their respective futures curves, but only for the first six months of the projection. Beyond that, they, the bank takes a neutral assumption that they'll just be simply flat. Now, they also put out an alternative scenario under which energy prices would follow the futures curves over the projection period, and that would have left inflation what 0.5 percentage points lower than in the MPC's central projection a couple of years time and 0.2 percentage points lower in three years time. So it does seem to me that it may well be the case that you know to come out and introduce the tightening now based on such a highly uncertain forecast could be risky and, and ultimately lead to a premature tightening of policy. Now, that said, from everything which has been said around the meeting and indeed the, the Bank of England's press conference afterward, it does still look as if it's going to be a timing issue. For a start, the new forecast the bank put out last Thursday uh, shows the CPI inflation at 1.9% in three years on the basis of market implied rates. And by that, we're talking about an assumption of a 1% bank rate by the end of 2022. So that'll be up, what, 90 basis points from where we stand at the moment. So essentially, a bit suggests that you know the forward curve is just marginally too aggressive in what it's assuming about tightening because inflation is expected to be below below the two percent target by the end of the period however the bank also shows what it expects to happen on the basis of unchanged interest rates so the 0.1 percent bank rate and that would leave cpi inflation well above target until at least into 2025 so in other words policy just on the basis of the bank's own forecasts uh, will have to be tightened at some point 
Now, it may be the case that the bank will decide to pull the trigger at its next meeting, the last one of the year on the 16th of December. But I think you know, what we can see now is that UK markets will probably be that much more volatile around that date than it might have been otherwise, even if the bank does hint about a hike, as investors now simply don't know whether to believe it or not. Um, now, just quickly swing back to Terry. In terms of the, the Fed's forecast, I mentioned as far as the Bank of England's one, particularly this time round, you know, the assumptions about energy prices have clearly you know, been important in how they view what they should be doing with interest rates. How do Fed sort of you know, look at what's happening to the energy prices, commodity prices, those things which are often very volatile, particularly these days when they're putting their forecasts and ultimately their decision making together? Well, I think they like to avoid making too much of a forecast about the near term because these can be quite volatile. Um, what they prefer to do is focus on the medium to long term in these things um, on the assumption that this evens out over time. Uh, so um, they definitely expect inflation to be higher than it has been next year, but something near their longer run expectation of about two percent in two years okay fair enough thanks for that um okay just quickly back to my side then i guess there's not too much else to say about uh, the uk at the moment bar well bar we'd get the gdp numbers out on thursdays will be our first look at the third quarter they're expected to show a quarter on quarter increase um in total output of 1.5 percent that'll be down from five and a half percent in the second quarter because we've still got the unraveling of covid etc etc at the moment the main thing to say about that though that compares with the, the bank of England's original forecast of what up to three percent they trim that to two and a half percent at the last meeting but again it just does highlight the factors we've talked about before the real economy in the uk at the moment is struggling a little bit and um, with covid numbers having been rising recently there are concerns about how the fourth quarter is going to come in and with regards to COVID, let's move across to continental Europe and, and the ECB. I guess really one of the, the, well, the media grabbing highlights of this week has been, unfortunately, the rise in new COVID cases. Um, they're now at their highest levels across the European Union since the middle of April. Uh, they're up around about, what, 50 percent or so just over the latest months. And hospital admissions have also more than doubled over the last week. Um, Germany's at new record highs and, well, as the World Health Organization are pointing out, Europe now is back at the uh, the epicenter of the pandemic. That's clearly going to be important in terms of the growth outlook. Uh, the ECB has regularly quoted the downside risks stemming from the prolonged COVID crisis on GDP and demand and everything else. So I guess it's got to be one reason for, you know, understanding why at this stage the ECB is refusing well, resolutely to be budged from its contention that the rise in inflation will be only temporary because the fundamental uh, picture really doesn't suggest it's going to stay that way. Nonetheless, in terms of what figures we have out from the Eurozone this week, and it's a relatively limited supply, um, they're unlikely to make the central bank bank's life any easier. We know from last week that uh, on the whole, consumer demand across the Eurozone isn't doing too badly. September retail sales actually fell. They were down 0.3% on the month in volume terms, but the fall there was more than offset by a fairly sharp upward revision to the August numbers and put a straight line through this little lot. Um, by and large, retail sales volume is still expanding at a relatively healthy rate. However, 
as again we've often talked about on this podcast from the particularly the manufacturing side of the economy that's still struggling quite badly um, we'll get the industrial production data for the eurozone for september um, on friday they're expected to be down about 0.6 percent on the month if correct that'd be a second successive fall and that follows uh well quite surprising announcements out of germany where we had output down over one percent on the month and france was even down 1.3 percent so net that did a lot together and it means that you know, the gap we currently have between demand and output growth looks like it's going to continue to widen which ultimately of course is going to be going to add to further pressure um, on pipeline prices and ultimately inflation itself so whether or not the ecb is going to be able to stay with its view that we're not going to put up interest rates because inflation is going to come back to uh it's well back to its uh, ecb two percent target rate sooner rather than later remains to be seen but it's going to be a difficult time i think for the ecb with the board clearly split between the hawks who are really getting concerned now about way inflation pressures are building and those hawks are very much much more worried about the way the real economy might be starting to slow down a little bit before i finish on europe i just want to mention a little bit of politics um, because it could have major implications we have touched upon it briefly before and that's the uh, the war of words between the polish government and the eu particularly the eu commission and ultimately hence the risk of what's being termed this pole exit whereby poland will actually leave the european union uh, they continue to intensify and the eu still insists that it, it rather than the polish judiciary has the final say in polish laws and that is something which the polls refuse to accept with a vengeance um, at risk at risk is the 36 billion euros of rescue funds which poland was hoping to get uh, via the new rescue program from the eu commission um, if that's going to be held back the polish government now is warning that it could suspend its eu membership fees now this bust up looks unlikely to end anytime soon indeed it seems to be becoming more heated and ultimately it looks you've got to think that euro investors are going to start becoming increasingly alarmed as this fight drags on because there's no obvious solution and if indeed we can't get some kind of settlement here um, there's going to be a, a real chance that Poland could be the second country to leave the European Union they're not part of the eurozone by any means but it would start to unravel the union as a whole and clearly speculators can start looking around at prospective countries perhaps some more high yielding countries like you know Greece or Italy perhaps with a view that they might actually want to pull out of the the eurozone as well so it's certainly something to keep an eye on not necessarily quite so much now but say if just from the way this euro is performing currently there are signs that investors are starting to get a little bit alarmed about it so do keep an eye on it okay then i think that's probably enough from me and terry today um so let's wrap it up there then I guess we can say that i mean markets now just simply pay so much attention to anything and everything that the central banks say that uh, as the bank of england discovered last week it becomes very easy to accidentally point investors in the wrong direction still at the end of the day policy is determined by the economic data and on that front you can always keep up to date with all the key statistics and events in economy day's global economic calendar I'm Arthur Terry and myself. Thanks as ever for listening. The podcast will be back again next week and we hope you can join us then. Bye for now.